Hey everyone, welcome to my show. I'm Tiffany Blackman, my so-called fabulous. How are you doing? Is everyone happy, safe, and healthy? I hope so. So I'm coming to you today. So I'm putting my chef coat back on. We do that from time to time here. I like to cook. I love to cook, actually. Um, Gosh, and during COVID, I've had quite the opportunity to cook. So um, we are going to talk about roasting and I'm doing this because the holidays, actually, when I'm filming this and recording, we're in the first week of December, and um, it's time to start selecting your holiday roast. Did you know that? Because Christmas, you could do a couple of things. You could repeat the turkey and dressing that you just had for Thanksgiving, or you could do a holiday roast. And you all possibly know that I have and still work for the beef industry, industry there we go, and uh, beef-loving Texans. And throughout my time there, goodness, I think it's been 20 years that I've worked for the beef industry and love it. Love it. Um, My dad is definitely, he's a cattleman and I grew up around all this. So near and dear to my heart. So let's talk about holiday roasting or roasting anytime. You could certainly do that. But when the weather gets a little bit chilly and cool is when we start cranking up the ovens. And um, I want to talk to you all about this because Many, many years ago, when I first started working at the beef industry as their culinary director, during the holidays of November, December, it was really, really back before email was hot, I guess you could say. We had, we certainly had email, but a lot of consumers would call us on the phone, leave a message and ask me, how do you cook a roast and a beef roast at that? So... We would call them back on the phone or mail them or whatever and let them know the who, what, where, when, why, and how, basically. So I thought I'd just take some time because every single year I get a phone call, well, text now, everyone's texting, but they'll say, okay, what is the temperature for a tenderloin and how long should you cook it and what is the seasoning, so on and so forth. So I'm going to address this. We're going to make this shorter than normal, but we're going to address this and we're going to talk about everything with roasting. All right. So when I think of a roast growing up, my mom cooked mini roast and, but, but, and we could not afford tenderloin, beef tenderloin. Now being cattle raisers, we would, when we would harvest a cow, and we'd put it in the freezer, we'd have that one tenderloin. We'd have the tenderloin for sure. And during the holidays is the only time. The other times of year is different cuts of beef. And we're going to get into that as well. But when people ask about holiday roasting, it's either the prime rib or the rib roll or the tenderloin. And it could be a sirloin roast as well. So again, backing up to the roast that I would know would be the prime rib or the tenderloin, two totally cuts, different cuts of beef. Tenderloin is the most tender cut of beef. Did you know that? The most tender and the most lean. All right. Then you go to the prime rib or the rib, very fatty, highly marbled. And when I say that in its cool state, when you go to the meat counter, you'll see prime rib and you'll see quite a bit of white, which is fat. And when you cook, that fat renders and throughout the cut of beef, the actual muscle, you will taste the wonderful, flavorful roast or steak. So fat 
you know, it's interesting because fat is such a negative word. But when I'm talking about the fat in a ribeye or the fat in a sirloin, you're talking about flavor because fat actually tastes really, really good. It tastes really, really good. And you won't see that fat in the tenderloin, but the tenderloin is fabulous. So, okay, so that is the roast that I think of. So, Paul, let me ask you. So I'm bringing in my producer. Paul, do you recall your mom or your dad or both cooking a roast growing up? So the kind of roast that I remember was in the, oh, what was that? The terracotta pot or the ceramic, you know, the big brown. Crock pot. Yeah, well, it wasn't a crock pot. It was the big, uh, like, clay Okay, uh-huh. okay. You know, and they mm-hmm. would, I don't know what kind of beef it was because we did whatever we had. Right. <laughs> but it was the, it was like we put carrots and all that kind of okay. stuff. It was like a chuck, I think, a chuck roast. Mm-hmm. That's uh, it. But yeah. So that's that's, it. That's, that's what I remember. And that would, like, we would eat that for, like, a week. Of course you it would. so much. If, okay, so, so what Paul's talking about is a chuck roast. And so when you think about Sunday pot roast, it's called a pot roast basically because you put carrots, onions, celery. And what you do with that type of roast is you have to cover it and it's called braising. So I'm talking about roasting today, dry roasting, but a chuck roast, which is they're about three pounds in the market and you want to braise that. And we're going to hit this. I think we've got, we're on to something here, but talking about the cooking is three hours, 300 degrees, three pounds of roast, slow and controlled. And it, and it makes fabulous, fabulous roast. So that is a braised roast. So the roast that I'm talking about is dry roasting. And, and so let's, Go to the meat market. Let's close our eyes and th- envision the meat market. And you'll have several types of meat, beef out, out. Okay. So you've got the steaks and then you have the roast. So let's hypothetically think that we're going to either make a prime rib or we're going to make a tenderloin roast for the holidays. All right. And again, you can cook any time of year, obviously. All right. So you choose the cut of beef. All right. So when you go into the market, you may... I have noticed that it would be graded prime. All right. So you have prime rib, right? But that doesn't mean that. It means prime. All right. So that is the grading. And that basically talks about the marbling, um, the firmness, and the texture. So that's the very highest. So is it the most expensive? Yes. However, I have gone to some stores before and it's on sale. So it would be the same. Sometimes this is rarity, but it would be the same as the second grade, which is choice. All right. So you have prime, you have choice. And then you have select. So those three. Typically, restaurants, hotels are dealing with prime. Um, Have I purchased prime? Yes, because I've seen it go on sale and I'm ready. So. So I have a question for you. Yes, sir. So that 35 pounds of meat that Sam and I ate at your house in Austin (laughs) that we could not stop eating in one night. That was for the whole weekend. What was that? Tenderloin. That was tenderloin. Tenderloin. So that would be prime? It was prime tenderloin, but you could also have a choice or a select tenderloin. All right. So it's just like, oh gosh, let's, let's, let's figure out a way to, to discuss this. Okay. So it's shopping and getting your best, which would be prime. And then the second would be choice. And the third would be select. Now, next time you all go to the butcher or go to, you know, where, whatever grocery store you go, look at 
make sure it's listed because sometimes it can be for prime yesterday, prime, prime rib, which is a rib roast. It was $15 more a pound than choice. That's significant. Wow. That's significant. So, you know, people go, is it really worth it? So, Paul, when you came to my home and we were talking about this a couple of years ago, Paul came to and some guys came down to Austin and I prepared a tenderloin. Now, everyone, it was a five pound tenderloin and I had prepared it. You thinking, shouldn't have made it so well. I know. I was going to have it for the whole weekend. We were going to have it the entire weekend and they knocked it out, I think, for an appetizer. I'm pretty sure. We it did. Was, it was. And some great cheese. That's right. That's it. That's all they needed was beef and cheese. So that was a tenderloin. All right. And I did roast that in the oven. So you've chosen your cut of beef. You looked at the grade and now you'll think a little bit differently. And that's why it's more expensive because it may or may not be prime. Not all grocery stores have prime. They don't. Um, but the central markets, the Whole Foods and it, it, those types of grocery stores, the, the uh, higher end and specialty will certainly have that. So you look at the grading when you're selecting your roast and look so so firm and, and, and marbleized if it's marbleized if it is prime rib. It's not going to be marbleized if it's tenderloin because, again, tenderloin is the leanest cut of beef. All right, so I'm going to take you there. All right, so we're going to get you ready to cook it, all right? So I want to prepare you, and I always want you to go to Beef Loving Texans, uh, and they have the best website that can walk you through anything. I, I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, but when you are, the first thing you do, you're going to preheat your oven. All right. So how do you preheat your oven? I remember my mother having Betty Crocker cookbook, the red and white checked cookbook out and all of her notes. And I do recall, and I can't get this really out of my brain, but she would have next to a recipe, cook at 350 degrees, 10 to 20 minutes per pound. And she was talking about a roast. So I really don't talk about minutes because you don't know the components. You Do you have a bone in or do you have, is it a fatty? It, there's different temperatures. There's different ways of looking at it. So mom, I know that you were that that you had your roast that you were thinking about for sure. All right. Now, the next thing you do is you determine if it is a tenderloin, you're going to cook this at 425 degrees, all right? It's dry roasting, everyone. You're not going to put a lid on it. You're not going to add water or anything to this. It's dry roasting, all right? So for a tenderloin, I am going to set the oven, preheat this for 425 degrees. Now, a ribeye, now, remember, there's a lot of fat in a ribeye, the ribeye roast. And so I'm going to cook this about 350 degrees. So you notice, I mean, oh, 75 degrees difference, all right? So, again, if you go to Beef Loving Texans, you can certainly see <clears throat> see that, see all the, the different types of roast and the, and the ideal cooking time. All right, so... For a roast, you need a shallow roasting pan. That is a roasting pan that is one to two inches high. Now, why wouldn't you use like something like a Dutch oven? Because a Dutch oven is five inches because you start steaming the actual meat. All right. So you want one to two inches with a rack in the bottom. So growing up, mother never used a rack. And I, and I just, I, became accustomed to that. But what it does, it allows the juices to fall at the bottom of the pan and you can make that fabulous gravy, which I'm going to talk to you about that before the end of this show. So you have your roasting pan with your rack. You Then you decide how do you want to 
season this roast. So many different ways of looking at this. And I like adding dry rubs. A lot of times I just add salt and pepper. And when I say salt, kosher salt or sea salt that's flaked because I like the surface area and it just, it, to me, it just melts on the protein so very, very well and coarsely ground back black pepper. But my tried and true, and this is every single year when I make a roast, I have three ingredients. That's all I have. Kosher salt, freshly ground black pepper or coarse ground black pepper. The third thing is Greek seasoning, all right? Greek seasoning, and my favorite to use is Cavender's Greek seasoning, and it's actually one part to one part of pepper to Greek seasoning, and then I just add a a small amount of salt because the Greek seasoning has quite a bit of salt in it. So you can do it with or without. It's just depending on the salt, how you, how salty you like it. And the flavor, everyone, is ridiculous. It is the crust on this roast absolutely melts in your mouth. So you put that tenderloin you, I mean, everyone, when I say put this rub on it, I'm usually making a half a cup of the Greek seasoning and a half a cup of the black pepper and about a teaspoon of salt. Mix it all together and just pack it on. You want no visible muscle showing on this roast. I mean, pack it on there, shake it, put it on the rack, put it in your preheated oven. All right. Preheated oven. Now, listen, when you open the oven, people, the heat is going to escape. So keep it closed, people. Peek in there. You know, these ovens, there's, we are buying, we are getting new ovens. And um, I was looking at some and some didn't have a window in the front. What is wrong with that? I have to see every single thing that's, that's going on in that oven. So don't peek. And basically, if you have a tenderloin, you know, if a tenderloin, if it's, if it's around three, you know, four to six pounds, you're looking, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember here and I'm, I'm 425 degrees. Let's say, hmm, that tenderloin, we're going to cook that about 35 to 45 minutes for a two to three pound roast. All right. That's not a lot of time. Goes very quickly. So let me tell you something. You don't want to overcook it. You want to undercook it because by the time, okay, let's say you did buy a prime roast and you've overcooked it. No. I, Paul, how do you, do you have it? Do you like it medium, rare, or do you have a preference? Uh, <laughs> it depends because I, I do love medium rare, but if it's like bleeding, I know it's not really blood, but you know what I mean? Purge, yes. Right. If it's too much and, and that makes it too chewy, then it really grosses me out. Okay. You know what I mean? Because right. It's texture then a mouthfeel. Exactly, exactly. To me, it's a huge texture thing because I've eaten medium rare, mm -hmm. like to the fullest extent, and it's been just perfect. Right. But then I've also eaten medium rare cooked by someone else, mm -hmm. and it was the texture was off. Right. What What causes that? Well, the texture. Is there a way to cut it? Is there a certain way to? Very, very good question. Um, there is, there is, and you know, the the more done, the doneness level, the more, um, it's less chewy. 
You know what I mean? Like, right. And so that's a mouthfeel. And sometimes, sometimes it's visual. Like you said, the purge, if it's too rare, you're not loving that because it is, it's just a mouthfeel. So the more, so if you take it to 160 degrees internal temperature, which is definitely done to well done 160, 170. Oh, that's too much. Um, you're, you've got no pink at all. And it's very, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's not, to me, it's not tender. I mean, but that's... The, yeah, it's more like jerky-ish, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, we're getting close there. But, you know, so what I pull, that when I pull my roast, my family goes from loving it rare to more of medium to medium well. I pull my roast, and this is, I, I've had people argue with me at 127 degrees. Okay, now that will rise when you bring it out of the oven, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, but it'll rise to 135. Because it continues to cook a little bit, right? It continues to cook. Because the inside's hot. That's right. Absolutely. It, 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 well, it could be cool. You know, if it's rare, it's, right. it's cool in the middle. On the outside, so if you have the long tenderloin in the middle, it's certainly going to be rare. And then on the outer side, so we have the well-done pieces on the end and then the rare in the middle. So I pull that internal temperature at 127, rises to 135, and that is rare. But the outside of the tenderloin, again, it's more of that, it's much more done. So, yes, so that is a mouthfeel for sure. Um, So when you place in the oven, you're cooking, you set your timer. And I have a picture of it. If you're on YouTube, you can see, see us here. This is a meat thermometer. Now, there's a lot of you guys and gals out there that say, no, no how, no way. I will never use one. Use one. It's worth it. If you, especially if you're paying $25 a pound for, for a roast or a steak. Um, but a meat thermometer is key. Now, when I cook a roast in the oven, I have the electronic and it's a probe that sticks. I just get it at Williams Sonoma. I stick the probe in the actual roast and it has to cover the little notch on the end and then I have a wire that comes outside and it's a tiny little laptop and I just program it to 127 degrees or 135 whatever and it beeps when it's ready it is foolproof because let me tell you how many times have you all entertained and you forget the bread and it's the bread is burnt um, so you will forget so make sure you use a meat thermometer what I have in front of me now is an instant read People, it's not dishwasher safe, and you cannot leave it in the oven. Um, an instant read, and I just take it up. And I just watch it, 127 degrees. Fun fact, if you think your meat thermometer is not working, you know what you should do? Stick this in ice in a cup of ice water. You know what's going to read? 32 degrees, and then you know it's working. See, you didn't even have to pay for that, everyone. That's a fun fact. So I have a question. What? So whenever I've been cooking uh, any kind of, you know, meat, where is the best place? I know in the biggest part of the meat where you put the thermometer, but mm-hmm. how do you know? Like, cause it always freaks me out. You mm-hmm. know, I'm like, Oh, I think this side, then I kind of move it a little bit. And then I'm like, am I messing this up? Right. So where do I, what's the best practice for where to put that thermometer? Okay. So if you have your roast, you want to put it right in the center. And if you have uh, a meat thermometer I'm showing, I'm holding this is about five inches. And if you look about an inch and a half to two inches in on this particular meat thermometer, that notch is where you have to cover it and you want it to go right in the center of your roast. Now, if you were to put this meat thermometer in a steak, you can't get it if you're going from the top, if you're going down vertically, because this is not a thermal couple. 
thermocouple means that the temperature reads on the end of the meat thermometer, you would have to go in from the side because you have to cover that surface area of your thermometer. And so, that's still okay to do. That's still okay to do. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So if you, but you want to hit the very center of the actual cut of beef, whether it be a roast or whether it be steak or whatever the case may be. So that's where you want to go. But you know what? I found, I was doing some research on this podcast, and um, I'm actually going to purchase this. It's, um, I can't remember the name of the brand, but it is actually a meat thermometer that is a thermal couple. So basically, it's the tip. So you just tip, you just touch inside the meat. You don't have to go in like you do with this instant read oh, one. Wow. So I'm pretty juiced about that. They're pricey. I mean, it's on sale for $89. But wow. yeah, it's very expensive. But... I cook so, so much beef that... It'll pay for itself. It'll I mean, pay for itself. Oh, absolutely. Because on my grill, I have a Traeger grill, which ha comes with a couple of probes. A couple oh, of, really? of thermometers. <laughs> and you, it's really neat how it works. I'm just still kind of a new, a new griller. Right. I'm not a grill master at all. Not yet. I'm a grill beginner. Right. But I'm still making some really good things. So, when I went, so you plug it in via like headphone jack. Yes. To the Traeger, and then it has a long wire, and then you, you stick it into your meat, and then you press the button, and it tells you what the what the temperature is. Oh, yeah. So I've always kind of wondered, like, how accurate is that? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I'll put it on two sides of, like, a brisket or two sides of a turkey, mm -hmm. uh, something like that, and one side will be cooler than the other, and I'm just like, ah. Mm -hmm. So then I just kind of get them kind of close. Right. But that's interesting. I may look into that, mm -hmm. that thermometer because that would be really Oh, nice. it's so cool. I'm so juiced about that, literally. So, yeah. So definitely need a meat thermometer. It's just critical. And I do know chefs out there, every chef I've had on my show, some may or may not use a meat thermometer. And there is a touch and there's a feel. And if you're doing this every single day of your career, of course, of course, I understand. But please, everyone, use a meat thermometer. And this one that I have is about nine dollars i mean it's very very affordable so we've um we're roasting we're going to then make sure it's cooked so for, at my home it's 127 we're bringing out um we're bringing the roast out of the oven we are going to use a little bit of aluminum foil old school here people you're just going to tint it and when i say tint it you just take the foil and put it over the top of the roast you do not seal this foil because you don't want to steam you're allowing the juices to redistribute back in the actual muscle of the roast or the beef so for a roast, I let it rest about 15 to 20 minutes. And again, you're letting the, the juices redistribute. If you go ahead and cut that roast, slice it, you're going to lose your juices. So don't do it. Just be patient. All right. So you let it rest 15 to 20 minutes and then you start carving. And this is another thing that Paul was bringing up. It's mouthfeel. If you do not cut this, okay, against the grain. So the grain of the actual meat, if let's say it goes left to right, all right, you want to cut it across the grain. Because think about it, the actual grain, if you were to take it and to bite, if you were cut it with the grain, it would it would almost like jerk away. It would just be, it, would, it wouldn't be pliable is the word I'm looking for. So you want to cut it and carve it against a grain. Make sure, and I please go to my Instagram because I have this all over the place, especially during the holidays. 
Get yourself a great carving knife. Do yourself a favor. You don't want to cut this with, with a butter knife. Trust me. Slicing, beautiful. Just get, I mean, and you don't have to pay a lot for, for a slicing knife. And a cutting board, a cutting board that has, envision this with me. It has a trough around the edges. Let's say it's a large, oh my goodness, like a three feet cutting board. The trough around the edges, because that catches the juices that you are actually, you know, naturally going to lose some, it will catch the juices in the trough so it doesn't fall off. Now, what I cannot stand, <laughs> what do you do, is when you have your pan and you've removed the roast, there are some juicy bits and pieces at the bottom. Don't throw it away. Oh my goodness, don't throw it away. That is the most fabulous gravy on the face of the earth. So hold on, just keep it there, okay? All right, so we're allowing to rest. You can probably start your 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 gravy now. So let's go ahead and make gravy before we slice the beef. All right, and I know I just talked about it, but okay. So the gravy, the bits in the bottom of the pan. So we, I use my pan and just keep it on the stovetop, turn the flame on, and you're bringing those bits and juices in the oils from the meat and you're, re, you're just starting to, to scrape the bottom of the pan with, you know, like a wooden spoon or something. Scrape the bottom of the pan. And I, uh, my baking, my, my roasting pan is not nonstick. I want everything to stick to it. So what I do for my roast gravy, I take a little bit of red wine because acids deglaze the pan. And that's the word you're looking for, deglazing of the pan. So you just take... A little bit of red wine. You could do tomato juice or whatever, but a little bit of red wine. And then I'm going to make a slurry. And if you're not sure what a slurry is, it's you need a thickening agent. So I use a couple of tablespoons, depending on the size of roast that I've just made, of either arrowroot, cornstarch, all-purpose flour. I actually started using a little bit of coconut flour because gluten-free. And you take a couple of, tables, couple of tablespoons and about a half a cup of water, and I just take my fingers and or, or a whisk, and I just break up, and I just make sure that that, that thickening agent is, is perfectly smooth. There's no lumps. Have you heard the term, do you have lumps in your gravy? That's my dad said. That's how he knew he fell in love with my mother. That's not true. Anyway, <laughs> so he said she didn't have lumps in her gravy. So you want to make sure that slurry, water, and a thickening agent Put it in the oil and the juicy bits from the bottom of the pan and then whisk this together and you have a perfect gravy. And let me tell you, it's fabulous. So I like the red wine, but then I, I finish it with water. I love cornstarch. It makes a beautiful, glossy, beautiful, beautiful uh, gravy for my roast. Okay, so we've sliced our roast. You know, um, tenderloin roast and prime rib about an inch probably about an inch thick, I would assume. Now, if you're making sandwiches, think about the leftovers, the fabulous roast beef sandwiches. Oh my goodness, with maybe a little borson cheese on a toasted roll. And you have sliced super thin your roast. Then you have a great roast beef sandwich. So the different types of roast, everyone. Um, we just talked about two and we finished with our gravy. But I want to talk to you a little bit about flavor, all right? So flavor and flavor profile, which is a whole different podcast, and we'll get to that some someday. But when you are creating your menu, think about going into a steakhouse and think about ordering a steak. 
And what do they serve it with? They offer mushrooms, maybe with a little um, butter and blue cheese sprinkled on top of a beautifully um, done steak or roast. But you know what? They 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 pair these items that are have umami. It's U M A M I umami components. And that is the fifth taste. Umami, you know, sweet, sour, bitter, salt, and umami. And it's a bona fide taste. It means beefy or brothy. So things that are fermented like cheese and soy sauce and um, wine, red wine, pair perfectly with your your beef. Um, your roast, imagine your garlic mashed potatoes that may have cheese in this or... or you, all these wonderful things. Cream works very, very well. But all of these flavor components working extremely well with your holiday roast. Now, Paul was talking about um, his holiday or his roast was was the chuck roast. And we talked about that. Again, that is braising that you have to have liquid. It's slow roasting because it's a tougher cut of beef, much tougher cut of beef. All right. Now, Tri-tip roast, which is a flavorful roast, lots, oh, it's just amazing. Now, this one, again, you're, you're cooking a, a tri-tip, which if you're from California out west, once upon a time, we had trade briskets for tri-tip. And at one point, you couldn't even find tri-tip in the market, in the Texas markets. It was very, very rare, but I'm seeing it more and more every day. Do yourself a favor and make that tri-tip in the same rub I was talking to you about. Cook it 425 degrees. Those are about oh my goodness, probably around two pounds to, you know, between one and three pounds, you can find one. And they cook very, very quickly. You can also cook a tri-tip, the dry roasting we're talking about, you can also cook a tri-tip on the grill and it is fab you less. You know, um, if you're budget friendly, if you need, if you've, you've got a little budget issue, you can certainly, for the price point, a sirloin tip roast, a wonderful is they're absolutely great and cook it the same way I'm talking about the shoulder the shoulder tip roast or the shoulder roast and or sirloin roast and about 325 degrees on that one um, go about three to four pounds and they feed quite a few people definitely a, one that's more budget friendly that's the word I'm looking for now people have asked me before about bottom round and bottom round I don't understand why this and it I've taught classes for years. When you go to the the market, sometimes you'll see great for grilling. Lie, lie, lie. Fake news, people. Everyone, fake news. All right. Bottom round roast have to be cooked dry roasting, okay? It's a dry roast. Um, if you're familiar with some that uh, Arby's, I believe, makes their sandwiches out of, I, I believe, I'm, I'm, I, I, this is... Many years ago, this was true, but we'd make it out of a bottom round and just slice it super, super thin. Great flavor, great flavor profiling. Now, I know that some of you are going to say, hey, I do the prime rib. I I do a big salt, um, encase it in salt. You mix it with water. It's almost like a paste, like salt and it's kosher salt and water. Paste it and pack it on. And I do have friends that make, they, they turn it up, the oven up super, super high, cook the roast for X amount of time. And I don't have the numbers in front of me because I don't do this. And then they turn the oven off and just let it sit. And I've heard that this works beautifully. But what I'm trying to show you and trying to teach you all is the 
tried and true method of doing this. So you will have the perfect holiday roast. Or you know what? Easter's coming up too. We could do it any time of year, and that's not what I'm really saying. But perfect time of year to cook your holiday roast. Paul, you going to cook a roast for me this year? I'm once again starving, so probably. <laughs> I will pro I'm, I'm definitely making a brisket. <gasps> yeah. So I will be asking you some questions about that here in a minute. Okay. Yeah. Because I've made one, and it turned out really good. Did you? I did. Okay. The first one ever did, but mm -hmm. I now I kind of want to get a roast. Okay. You should. 100%. Really should. I'm going to walk it's, you it's through better, it. I, I kind of want to do something different than turkey, you know? Oh, I know. For Christmas. So I kind of, I, I may do a roast. That sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. And this, I'm telling you, this, this is flawless. And I have tried many other rubs. I've said, okay, I'm going to try this on, you know, thyme and, and our chili powder and coffee crust. No, I have my favorite. And when people come over, they love it. So, hey, roast. So what I want you to do, everyone, I want you to let me know how your roast turns out this this holiday season. And we're going to probably do this a little bit more. I think we, we have more people asking about cooking methods and methodology, and I think we should do that. So anyway, everyone, follow along with me on Instagram at Tiffany C. Blackman and go to my blog. We have great recipes. Um, go to my blog at Tiffany, TiffanyCBlackman.com. And um, everyone, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And everyone... Good luck with your roasting and keep being fabulous. <laughs>